Hey, everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Today, it's time for some Q&A. We've got questions piled high and deep from our listeners, uh, so we thought we'd take today to kind of mix it up a little bit and go through a bunch of uh, Q&A and get those all cleaned up. Um, and as far as the questions, we really appreciate the questions that uh, you guys uh, keep coming. Uh, just keep sending them in. And if we don't answer them then and there, what we'll do is we'll just compile them and once in a while we'll have a, another Q&A session. So we really appreciate it. All right, we've got the coaches here. We've got uh, Marty, we've got Jim, you guys ready? Ready to go. All right. First question is, <clears throat> all right, so this guy's talking about the bench press. He's got a problem with the elbows flaring out near mm. the lockout from mm. the bench. What causes this and how do we fix it? Good, Jim. Um, well, surprising he said during the lockout because usually it happens coming off your chest. So just a quick, quick anecdote here. I was benching about 385 when I got to Penn with Rob Wagner in like 99 or whatever. And he was like, yeah, your elbows are flaring out. You're never going to reach your um, your true potential on the bench until you tuck your elbows in and bend the bar. And, you know, just like Kirk, just like, you know, yep. all of us. And I, my ego was so big, man. I gave up on that, on that three or four times before I said, screw it. My bench is going nowhere. I'm keeping my elbows in. And it, it's a blow because your triceps are weak Yeah. When, when you try to do that. And it takes a while for those triceps to catch up. So I dropped my max like 10%, 15%, and just basically started over, you know, fighting to keep my elbows in. Um, it's probably not right at the lockout that this, you know, maybe he thinks that. Uh, but I would say drop, off, drop off the weight. You can always do some extra tri close close grips really helped me. I mean, I would do so I'd work up to my heavy triple or double when uh, training for a contest in the regular bench. And then I do like four sets of five to six of seven, something like that, with around 75% in the close grip and trying to move it really fast. I still went up every week, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, I thought that that helped my my bench a whole lot and helped me keep my elbows in. Because in reality, when we're talking about this technique, everything's a close grip. If you do this right with your elbows tucked in, right? And no matter really how wide your grip is, it's a close grip because your, your elbows are tucked in on that close grip automatically, right? Right. You're, you're training those triceps really hard when you do both exercises, but the close grip really helped me. Now, let me ask you two questions. Grip width on... Excuse me. Would yeah. you mind if I talked about that? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, yeah. You, 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 we have a saying, invest in weakness. Yeah. You know, when, when you come to me, we're going to break all your techniques down. We don't care that you can bench 400 the wrong way. Right. It's a, it doesn't mean anything because if you're not going to get much further. Uh, I was talking to a guy today, different, different exercise, different problem, but the same general idea listen if you if you want to get this lift moving you've got to revamp it right you've got to tear it down to zero and you've got to swallow your ego like jim said yeah. and you've got to got to go back to jump ball i'm surprised you, you only had to drop 10 or 20 percent jim most of my guys are down like 40 percent right. right yeah i mean it, you got to drop it down because your body's like what the hell's going on it's a whole yeah, yeah. And again, you can you, you you can continue to 
play to your strengths, but unless you play to your weaknesses, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. All right. Good, Jacob. And it's really, um, just one more thing, and it's really with every exercise, it's taking a guy like Marty David Kirk, who is not hitting his depth consistently and saying, oh, no, we're going to pause squat. Yep. Yeah, we're going to pause squat until you get so mm -hmm. comfortable in the bottom that your body goes, okay, now I'm here. Mm -hmm. Now I'm where mm -hmm. I need to be. So. And it, it, it can take a year. Yeah. You know, it can take a while. It's not just something that, oh, yeah, I'm going to fix that. And, uh, you know, uh, so yeah, you have to, you have to swallow your ego. Yeah. Took me a couple of years. Actually. But, but you're right, Jim, when you switch over to that, um, your triceps are not used to that. They don't have the power uh, that you'll soon build up from doing it uh, with the close grip and your, your elbows in, Right. you know, so it takes a while. Push-ups help driving your elbows in. Yeah. If you watch the, like the military push-ups with the elbows way out, man, I hate to see that pec delgur, you know, tie in right there after a while. Uh, you know, turn your hands out slightly, drive your elbows into your lats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. What, when you're doing, uh, when, when you're done with your bench and you switch over to the close grip press, how much are you bringing your grip in? I'm right where the knurling begins. So it's really just a closer grip. You know, I, I never touch the smooth on anything um, and have rarely have people do it unless they're really small um, in any exercise. But yeah, right where the knurling begins and maybe an inch wider than that. And my grip would be <clears throat> on the rings or middle finger on the rings. Depends yeah. on your height. Depends on your height. Yeah. Right. You want to you want to replicate your overhead press grip and your close grip bench grip. Period. That that way you double dip. You 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 work your overhead press one day, a separate day, you push that up. That automatically pushes up the bench. Yeah. But it's got to be the same grip width as your narrow grip. Okay? Right. Then the narrow grip pushes up your overhead press right? You got a synergy thing going. It's the same way that we link up the squat and the deadlift. The, the close grip bench and the overhead press, essentially the same exercise, just a different angle. You know, okay, I, that's that's interesting. Yeah. I never found, like I did, you know, push downs and, and, and even, oh. I always felt like the close grip transferred over uh, right to it and the press of course, of course of course jimmy because as cassidy said the best assistance exercise for any lift is the is the assistance exercise that most closely resembles the lift what is going to more closely resemble a, com a competition grip pause bench than another flat bench nothing not an incline not a decline not not dips not tricep push downs if you yeah. want to increase your bench do more benching, but do it with different grip widths. That's yeah. number one. Yeah. Now, Jim, will you... Like the more you can get the bar in your hands, just the barbell. Yeah. Just having the barbell in your hands versus dumbbell. I mean, off-season, great. Do whatever you want. But, man, when you, when you decide you're going to train for a meet, do the incline with a barbell. Do a close grip with a barbell. Do the bench press with a barbell. You know, I just felt like that helped me a whole bunch. Do you guys replicate the same rep speed uh, with a close grip press than your regular press? Do they match or can you do them differently? Well, well, Does no, it matter? You're, no, you're, you're, you're trying to use compensatory acceleration, that which, which the mm. definition is, is that you, on the, on the concentric, on the loaded phase, you push as fast as humanly possible. Right. Now, obviously, if it's a big heavy weight, it's not going to be very damn fast. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. 
Yeah. Because, because the point is, is that in your mind, you are pushing that weight as fast as you possibly can. Right. You're taking conscious control over the rep speed. If you have no conscious control, your body is automatically going to revert to the default, which is sort of this in-between, not fast, not slow, just kind of in-between. And that's nothing. That is nowhere. Either go slow, go fast. I mean, the concentric should always be as hard and as fast as you can. You know? Except if you're purposely, you know, okay, we're going to work grind for a while because we, right. we're burnt out on explosion. We'll do that too. I mean, we will alter the rep speed, but generally speaking, well, the optimal is the compensatory acceleration. That's what everything, that, that's where everything leads to. Yeah. Right. What about... Um... Marty, you mentioned something to me a long time ago about grip width, and you can you can mess with your grip width uh, to cut down on certain shoulder pain that you might have. Talk about that. What? How do you do that? Narrow your grip. Just narrow it up. Yeah, pretty much. Almost, Jim. Have you ever seen a a case where hurting shoulders were uh, fixed by taking a wider grip? No. I, I can't remember any, but almost in every case, if somebody has shoulder pain, usually by narrowing the grip, you can get around that. Yeah, that's what you, I did. But you're not going to be as strong. Right. And then, just like we talked about in the previous questions, keep your damn elbows in. That takes yeah. all the strain off it. Man. Yeah, that's right. Right. What about, um, okay, here's, a, here's another bench question. Uh, if you experience shoulder pain on the flat bench, but not on the incline bench, anything wrong with uh, just starting with the incline on your chest days? Does it matter? Doesn't matter to me. I think that's great. If yeah. you're doing bodybuilding, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If you're not a competitive lifter, who cares? I mean, now I don't think the incline barbell or dumbbell bench is as good as the flat barbell or dumbbell bench, but I think it's a hell of a lot better than no benching. Yeah. You know, and that's what I've been doing lately too. I've been starting with um, with incline, and I can just feel it so much more in my pecs uh, without the shoulder pain than on uh, bench. I don't know some it, some somehow on the bench, it doesn't seem to recruit as many muscle fibers, and it just wrecks my my shoulders. I don't know. So, but starting on the incline, I feel it a lot more in the pecs. There's better isolation for me. I'm, I, I get nice and warmed up and then I can actually bench better, not, not quite as strong, uh, but after I do the inclines, I can go and bench and it's, you know, it's all loosened up. It's pain-free and I can do a couple of good sets. Do you, uh, a good idea there would be to do something like do that incline, then go do your dumbbell shrugs or something like that. Give your triceps a rest, then go to the bench. Mm -hmm. Your triceps have been recovered a little bit. You always put like a, exercise that doesn't involve a press so if i have somebody bench and then they're going to close grip then we'll do like some laterals or we'll do hammer curls or something like that before they bench right just to let it recuperate a little bit yeah and also you got to watch with the incline i'm big on not that real high incline you might as well just go press if you're going to do that in my, in my opinion you know right you want to find the angle and i just have a, a new client mark who he says, I can only do, you know, at a certain angle, I can't flat bench because my shoulders, but when if I raise it up, I forgot what he said, but it's not the real high incline. It's like a medium 
He said that takes all the stress away. And now he's still working the muscles that he wants to, you know. I think ours is at about a 45, you know, just like a late press. The the classic incline is 45 degrees. Right. 90 degrees for an overhead press, 180 degrees for a flat press. Split the difference, you got 45. What was the one at Mac, you think, Marty? That was what? That was a 45 degree. They're all 45 degrees. It's a standard incline angle. But you know what I what I noticed is when all the gyms closed for the pandemic and I couldn't bench uh, before the pandemic, I was able to bring the bar all the way down to my chest on on the uh, incline. Now, when I came back, I have to go probably, I don't know, a good couple of inches above touching my chest because I just can't get it down there anymore. So do I really need to bring it to my chest? Yeah, you really do. Okay, and, and something's wrong there. If, if you can't bring the bar down, you've either got an impingement or you've got an issue and it needs to be looked at. What I would do if I had you is I'd put you on some damn dumbbells and let's stretch that out. Yeah. Now you ain't gonna be handling, you ain't gonna be handling no hundreds. Yeah. You're gonna be handling 50s. I, I, I can't get the bar down. It's not because I have a shoulder problem. It's because I, I've, I've tightened up so much because I, I've, I haven't done that exercise. Mm-hmm you know, for months and months. Yeah, well, we're just uh, increase the range of motion like Marty's talking about with other implements and that's the dumbbells. Right. Get on the dumbbells. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, we talk about this, your body has governors. And yeah. if you haven't asked your body to do something in a long time, it's like, I'm not going to that range of motion. And, 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 and you, also, right. you also have to seize back conscious control. The reason that you can't get the bar down to your chest is because your muscle tension is preventing you. Right. You've got to, you've got to go, let go. Mm-hmm. relax that's what we tell these people the first iteration of the bench press and we have them doing dumbbell benches it's just like you guys are so tight you've got to get over that this 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 residual muscle tension you see it in the squat particularly in guys who yeah. can't release the tension in their thigh and you have to get past that you're Remember. this what yeah. you're discussing what you're telling us jp is just another version of that that's right. an that's a different flavor of you. Look, you can't tell you can't relax to let that. And you, yeah, you can, you really can. But you have to seize conscious control of that yeah, mentally. Take a lighter weight, blow all yeah, your air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it go, brother. Let it go. Let the weight stretch you. Trust me, it will. And is that at every width grip, JP? Um. I haven't tried it closer. It was sort of a, a wide grip. So maybe, yeah. I guess maybe if I brought it in a little bit closer, maybe I'd be able to get down. Maybe you just better. get some, why don't you just get some dumbbells, man? Yeah. 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 Maybe no, I'll try no, dumbbells. No, 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 I'm just, yeah. All right. What's next? Um, how about neck harness? Let's see. I haven't, um, I haven't seen anybody do a neck exercise in 40 years. Have you, Jim? <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I'm, I'm serious. It used to be a big thing back in, back in Bill Pearl's day. I mean, yes. bodybuilders, oh, hey, we got to have a big neck. And Pearl was always doing this stuff and that stuff. And everybody was doing neck work. No one does neck work now. You know, Marty, wasn't it neck, forearms, and calves that had to be the same size? Something yeah, like yeah that's, that's, that's the Grecian ideal. Uh, 17-inch arm, 17-inch calf, 17-inch neck. It was bicep? It was like the arm around the bicep and tricep? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, the, the three identical, and then there was also an ideal chest, waist, and hip. Um, right. It was the Pythagorean uh, 
model of, of mathematical proportion. Yeah. Uh, chest calves and uh, neck all the same size. I love that. That's great. That is great. That's great. Jim, you're a famous bodybuilder. I mean, are all your measurements uh, in line? No, I don't think so. <laughs> what, have you taken a measurement in the last 10 years, Jim? No, I hate yeah. that. All right. All right. I could take my next, probably 19, though, and I know my his, his, his kids probably stretched the tape out. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I think, I think right. they did at the, at the gym that Marty I, I think that's a. I think that's a good, I think it's good for kids. It's like, oh, I want to get my arms to 16, you know? Great, get, yeah, get it to 16, yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like that as an incitement for, for you know, uh, guys in the front end of their career. Yeah. Cassidy, um, oh, yeah. Cassidy used to have a, a chart hanging on the wall, which had all his measurements. And Actually. every, oh yeah, every week he, because he, at the time he was doing bodybuilding. Oh, okay. And so every week you'd come in and you'd see his, I mean, he had neck, shoulders, chest, waist, hips, thighs, knees, uh, uh, calves, ankles, wrists, I mean, all of it. And every week, and watch his body weight. And every week you could just walk in and they're, oh yeah, look, his arms went up a quarter inch. Oh, his waist is down a half inch, you know, you know what I mean? But that, yeah. that's how serious he took it as a competitive bodybuilder. He used it as a, as a progress meter. Isn't that interesting? That's all we did was measure our arms when we were, you know, starting out 16, 15, 17. You it was know. good. It was good in, in, inducement for you, wasn't it? it oh, yeah. Got oh, you fired yeah. up. Yeah. Get yeah. you fired up. Yeah. So Christy, my she's a head spring coach at NC State, and she was my assistant at Penn. She had some big ass arms. And I used to get the football, <laughs> I'd get the tape measure out. And it, you know, the, the linemen obviously had bigger arms, but man, there'd be some defensive backs and running backs. She had bigger arms. It was so fun. I bet so, you damn. I bet you damn well had bigger calves. She had, <laughs> yes. I mean, she's big and strong, but uh, her, her calves were unbelievable. Well, that was Tracy, I think. Christy was the. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking of Tracy. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. well, Christy. Yeah, she's. Christy, she's a. She's a stud. Um, back to the neck thing. So we, let's I, go back to Christy for a second. What was her deadlift? Five fifteen in the gym, five oh seven in the meet. Boom. One hundred eighty pounds, lifetime yep. drug free woman. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Death machine. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. In the gym. That's what happens when a division. Oh, when it, yeah. Yeah. Just great. Great. great I saw great. her pause a double with three forty five in the squat. Pause. I mean, I keep her ass down there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's really strong. Embarrassingly strong when you're lifting with her, and she's like, "All right, I'm gonna do the 105s and the dumbbell bench, big dog." I'm like, "Well, that means I gotta use the 120s." Right. <laughs> yeah. Back to the neck stuff. So I did neck with all the football teams, the wrestlers. Um, but I'll be honest with you, you have to be real careful with that neck harness because if you reach out, yeah, in your neck, I like honestly making their traps so freaking big and strong. Uh, that it's like a, that makes their neck huge. Deadlifts makes their neck huge. Yep. It's just that. And your, and your quick lifts, your power cleans, your snatches. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. And lifting just in general mm -hmm. uh, does. And because if you think about it, man, those football players that get really hurt, they're hitting with the top of their head. And what's your yep. shock slope is going to be? Those big yep. ass traps. Uh, well, we used, to, we, used to, we used to be taught to put our helmet in the numbers. I know, man. Hit with your head. Hit with your head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I, we, I used to put guys out of the game. 
it's like a bowling ball coming at you. Yeah, yeah. You catch them in the solar plexus with a helmet, buddy, and they're going to the sideline. Yeah. So, so Jim, even as a strength co coach at uh, Penn, you know, coaching football players, you guys really wouldn't concentrate on the neck harness. You'd just be doing the shrugs and we all had the neck machines and neck harness. No, we did it. We it was yeah. I was covering my ass just to be honest with you. Yeah. But I knew that the other stuff had, you know, there's good, better, and best. Where right. you know, the neck machine is good. I thought the neck harness was a little better, but the best would be making you know deadlifts and shrugs and heavy cleans and all that stuff. So all right, here's another Cassidy story. <clears throat> Cassidy and a guy named Bill Truax were both into necks. And Hugh was also doing a lot of teeth lifting. Uh -huh. Where you, you know, you bite down on that yeah. that thing and then you pick dumbbells and barbells up off the floor. Yeah. So he invented, and this ended up in Strength and Health magazine, no, Muscular Development magazine, a big picture. And it's Cassidy and Truex, and, and Cassidy's big and Truex is big. Cassidy's 280 and Truex is whatever, 250, but he's about five foot three. And they both have on football helmets with a spike coming yeah. out the top, and they have a weight plate on the spike. And you know what the caption was underneath? Take us to your leader. For the Flintstones. And that's what they did. They'd walk around. You'd go to Cassidy's house and he'd walk, he'd be walking around with a football helmet with a 25-pound plate on top of it. Yeah. Building his neck. Just don't take that outside when it's stormy, right? <laughs> you might get the, at an AM station. Is that great? Is that great? That is fantastic. I've seen a. I swear I've seen a picture of that somewhere. Yeah, I'll yeah, tell we you. Had we had them years ago, back in the. <laughs> no, that, that Cassidy and they made them. They were the first guys. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, they were the first guys to come up with that. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy looking. So, Jim, on the harness, how many sets and reps would you do, and how many times a week? Uh, we train guys twice a, twice a week with the neck, and I think yeah. three sets of eight to twelve. I was just scared to death, you know, because you got to you got to sit sit on a bench, picture that harness around your head, shrug yeah. your shoulders, and then just just nod your head. Guys come way out, man. I'm just like, stop, stop. You know, it's, like it's, a, it's like a bad deadlift. Yeah, you you have to keep stuff in line. Yeah, it, I, I'm not a fan of it. I really am not. I don't think a neck harness is a, is appropriate. I really don't. If I had a kid, I wouldn't let him use it. You know what we did that was great, and this is from Thai boxing. We did neck wrestling. Yeah. You start off with both hands. You know, you got a partner, and then mm -hmm. while you try to get your hand around, you know, his neck, he squeezes his elbow. So you really got to fight, and you're pulling on that other hand. You know, you obviously don't want to. If you put your hand on top of his head, you control him, but you keep it on that, on the base, uh, just a little higher than the base. And that, that's a great workout, man. Great workout. I don't think I've ever done that, but yeah, back in the day when we were probably 16, we used to do the neck harness. I sell a lot of them too. Um, people are doing them. I haven't done them in, in a long, long time. I, I, what am I going to do with it now? But uh, yeah, that, you're right. You do have to be careful with that one. Um. Let's see. Oh, Marty's going to love this one. All right. Question is, what benefits and or disadvantages are kipping pull-ups for those not training for CrossFit? Go ahead, Jim. 
<laughs> well, the disadvantage is you're going to wreck your shoulders eventually. And it's, yeah. if you're any kind of a purist, just define it as something else because it's definitely not a chin up or a pull up. You know, yeah. uh, I, I cringe. We had a girl work for me as an intern and she was doing them. I was like, you know, see, say stop goodbye to your shoulders after a while. Just stop it. Just yeah. stop it. That's what stop I'm saying. Madness. Stop, stop the madness. Stop the madness, really. Yeah. Well, they do it on the rings and all that stuff too, doing that's, muscle ups and. But that's oh different. God. That's that's different. That's the only way you're getting up. Yeah. Right. That's that's that's, that's different. And if you're doing so, it in, in athletic competition or CrossFit competition, great. Then it's a skill that you have to master. But I'm mm -hmm. talking about for normal people, no. So I don't think there's any advantage to the kipping except for the momentum. That's not that's, that's a disadvantage. I'll be honest. If I was doing pull-ups, which I haven't done in years, I'd have to probably either use a ladder or, or kip it up. <laughs> no, you'd have to have two, two strong guys push you up to the bar. There's <laughs> negatives. Negative, yeah, there you go. Uh, I, don't, I don't do pull-ups. I never have. None of the top lifters that I knew ever really did them. Uh, it's, I mean, if you're a big guy, it's not your thing. Right. Right. If you were 150 pounder, great. Do your 20 pull-ups. That's fantastic. But you know what? They can't deadlift 400, you know? Right. So, so go do your pull-ups. Well, I think some, some people are naturally better at them than others too, because I was telling you guys once before on the, uh, on the president's, uh, physical fitness test that we all used to do when we were in school, there was guys up there that would that would just go up and do 20 25 and then i'd get up and and you know do six or eight or whatever and you know just there was always those those couple of guys yeah that could just really do it and they weren't doing pull-ups or climb the rope and all that stuff yeah 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 oh how'd you get so high in a tree you know that there was always <laughs> kids like that but they couldn't fight and they and they couldn't lift so they didn't play that's them. right <laughs> their, their their deadlift was nothing so shallow <laughs> okay um <clears throat> for a 48 year old guy that lifts twice a week which are six compound movements how would you recommend he lose fat while getting stronger <laughs> okay jim <laughs> it depends what's his you know what's his uh how long has he been training and stuff if he's a beginner he can do both um but I'm a big believer in, man, you got to focus. You're going to try to stay as strong as you can. But if you're trying to get really ripped up, you're going to get weaker. Um, and so you sort of got to focus on what you're going to focus on. Then when you get to a certain body weight, if you want to build back up, put some muscle on, then you're going to get stronger and you can increase the calories. But yeah, I just. Yeah. I think you can lean out while you're getting stronger and, and adding muscle just by eating better. No, not, re not really. <laughs> that, well, that's not, that's, mean, not, that's not really true. That's your cross purposes. I mean, it, uh, unless you weigh your food, unless you, you exert a degree of precision that a professional bodybuilder uses, you can't do it. It's too delicate a process. If you work a regular job, if you have kids, if you have a family, all that stuff, the idea that you're, that you're going to get in that metabolic sweet spot where everything is so perfect that you're getting leaner and you're actually adding muscle at the same time. Well, that's metabolic nirvana. And it, it just doesn't casually happen. There's a degree of precision required that, I mean, look, look at a guy like Jim, 
You can't get more discipline than him. Jimmy, are you putting on muscle as you're getting ripped up for the show? No. no. It's a myth. You're just carving it up. It's a myth. Even if it's even if it's just subtle and slight fat loss, I don't mean like competing for bodybuilding. Uh, I mean, it's tough. Man. I mean, I've leaned, I've we're, leaned we're, out we're, just we're, by we're, eating better, and you know, I'm still. Did you have your body? Eating. Did you have your body fat percentile done? Did you have your muscle? You know, you know what I'm saying. You, you really. A lot oh, of times, a lot, of t- a lot. Yeah, well, a lot of times when you strip the fat off muscles, they look bigger but they're not they're they're just visible right mm-hmm. it's it's not that mass that's covered with this thick layer of fat you strip the fat off and it's all of a sudden it's like wow that man you, that's and actually you're an inch and a half smaller yeah because you've lost that that subcutaneous fat and it's just you're a smaller version of yourself but you're fitter healthier more athletic version of yourself and that's what you want to do but this idea that i'm gonna and i have people ask me this all the time they want to be they want to become a personal training clients well i i want to i want to put on muscle but i want to get ripped and it's like pick a direction brother <laughs> I know. it's it's one or the other you don't jump yeah. in and do that at the highest highest level yes it is possible and a lot of then a lot of that has chemical enhancements I'm just gonna say that yes thank you I mean, you know, I'm always fascinated by this. So out of the big three lifts, when you start to lose weight, what strength stays with you longest in, in, the, in each exercise and what goes first? Deadlift. Deadlift goes first? No, it stays the longest. Exactly. Bench goes first, right? Squat yep. second, yep. deadlift third. Yep. You know, I found that without that huge ass belly I used to have, I'd get down to the bar better <laughs> on a deadlift. Uh, you, you, you know what I figured that out, Jim? There was a period of, there's a five-year period where I won national master's title, USPF, you know, the, the big federation. I won, I won three national titles in three different weight classes. I won it 198, 220, and 242. So I was a shapeshifter and the 198 win was in between the 220 and the 242 win. Mm. When so I pulled 680 at 220. I went down to 198 and I still pulled 644. Now I'm 5'10 and at 198 pounds, man, I was a skinny dude. But I didn't lose, I only lost four. Now my squat and my bench press, I lost 100 pounds off, more than 100 off yeah, my really? squat. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but again, we're not, we're talking big numbers here. We're talking, you know what I mean? I squatted 722 at 220 right yeah. so i squatted about 600 at 198 mm-hmm. i had no leverages my bench press went to hell i don't even think i think i barely benched i don't know 330 or something it was it was pretty guys were beating me in the bench press by 100 pounds <clears throat> but but the, my point being is that that's when it really came clear to me yeah the deadlift is the one that is least affected by body weight and you look at guys like john cup and george hector cup pulled 860, weighing 330, dropped down to 242 and pulled 870. What? Yeah. George Hector at 360 pulled 823 
no, 821. And at 242, he pulled 844. What the heck, man? Right. Why, do, why, do why do you think the deadlift stays with you longer? That's a good question. I think it's because the entire, you're using the entire body pretty much. You well, know, you use the entire body in the squat, brother. <laughs> yes, but it's, but I mean, it's mostly, Trust you know, it's mostly legs with the, with the deadlift. It's your back, it's your legs, it's your shoulders, it's everything. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good theory as any, because I, I really don't have a better one. I just know that it's factual. And I know most, most. It was, it was just easier for me to get down there and get in position and keep that position. But I, I don't know why it happens with everybody. Would you pull a 300, Jim? I only pulled like 672 when I was 268. Ah. I pulled 740. What uh, what was your the your lightest body weight for pulling 700? 238 probably. Okay, at 238 you pulled 700. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that kind of cinches the case too, right? It does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um. A couple of questions about uh, intermittent fasting here. Um, does it matter what, like, what part of the day you you have that eating window open? Like, should should you do your your eating in the morning or in the evening or what? You know, I don't know. I don't think. It, I mean, I would defer to Ori Hoffmeckler. Um, I did a radio show with Ori for I got two and a half years where I was his co-host, and that's all we talked about was intermittent. We were trying to. Ori was the first. Or he invented intermittent fasting. Hmm. He was the first guy to, to say, hey, look, we're eating too much. We need to shorten the window. We've got to let the body cleanse itself, right? The whole, the whole strategy behind intermittent fasting is that you have, oh, I don't know, 18 hours to 20 hours where, the, where you don't take in food. And during that period, because the body's not overwhelmed with insulin and, and, and digestion and, and food, it has a, an opportunity to reset itself, to cleanse itself. If you've taken in insulin, if you've taken in you know, sugar foods, it, by not eating, it gives the body a chance to clear that, right? So you maintain your insulin sensitivity and your receptor sites don't get overwhelmed and clogged. As far as when, I don't really think it matters. Does it matter if you do four hours, you know, at, at, from eight to 12, or you do, I do my four hours from uh, three to seven, you know, okay. and I do four hours. Um, I think I read in the article, I saw a recent uh, TED talk where they had a woman on who was an intermittent fasting expert. And she was going along really, really good in terms of why intermittent fasting was good and physiologics and all that. And then she got to the point and she said, her window was eight hours. Wow. And I'm like, what? I said, so let's see, I get up and I have my breakfast at nine. <laughs> I have my lunch at 12. And then because I'm 71, I'm going to get an early bird dinner at 4.30 and I'm intermittent fasting. Right. It's like, yeah. no, no, you're not. <laughs> Eight hours. Yeah. Four is tough, tough, buddy. I tell you, the last couple hours before I eat at three, that's why I'm so jacked up right now. We're doing this thing at two o'clock in the afternoon instead of 10 in the morning. So I'm kind of tight. Uh, but the last couple hours before you break the fast, 
I think that's when all the good stuff happens, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're really at the depths of it, you know, and you haven't had anything to eat since seven o'clock the previous day, previous night. And my body just, just, I mean, I'm craving food and by the time I hit it, but it's interesting when you actually do start eating, your capacity is less. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, anyway, so anyway, yeah. So back to the original question, I really don't think it matters. Okay. Now you mentioned you do it from three to seven. Now that's 7 PM. So how long after that do you tend to go to bed? Oh, I, I'm usually asleep by nine 30. Okay. So and, is and, there... and I'm not, I'm not, I am not stuffing my face. It's not like I'm sitting there and for four hours, I'm like at a buffet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to, like today, today I have, a, I smoked some beef ribs. So I've got some beef ribs ready to go. I have two beef ribs. I've, I've like a coleslaw, Jim. I find the coleslaw makes my good fiber, right? Yeah. Like you had your red cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's coleslaw. It has a little, little bit of sweetness to it, but that's all right. And um, I don't know, you know, so, but, but what I'm, my point being is that you don't, when you get to intermittent fasting, you, it's not like you're, you're stuffing your face for, you know, the entire period, it, you know, you, you have your food and then a little later on toward the end of the period, I go, you know, I could, let me get something else. Yeah. I really like what Ori, he had food groups that you had to eat before you got to even thinking about having any sugar. So it was like, got to have, a, and I don't know exactly, but it was something yes. like this. Got to have leafy vegetable first, and then protein. Yeah, then, lighter, lighter proteins, and yeah, he had a whole sequencing for how to eat the food. And then, if you feel like it after that, and you, I mean, obviously, you know, you may have one marshmallow or something if you want some sweet right. that because you know, uh, want all that. Also, Ori was big on um, uh, replenishment shake after training. Okay, even though that fell outside the 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 window, but it didn't raise your insulin. Uh, no, and oh, or might might a little bit, but little that's bit. okay. But but that's okay because it's good to have a little bit of an insulin right. blip after a training session. Right, that window. Yeah. But, but Marty, what kind of shake was that? Did it have milk uh, in it and all that? No, uh, uh, Ori Ori made the absolute. I mean, I love John's stuff, but Ori's stuff even tasted better. I mean, it was just delicious. Uh, and he made he had a protein, he had a whey protein that was that was fantastic. He had a colostrum too. I remember. Yeah, that. yeah. He was Ori was deep into the organic thing. His his whole thing was organic food, uh, intermittent fasting, and intense exercise. It was a three way thing. It wasn't like no, you don't just get to do the fasting. Right. You know, he felt that it that it was incumbent that you have the, an intense exercise. It was you you couldn't get the maximum results without really serious exercise. And I love that about him. Uh, and he always brought it up and he said, listen, you know, you do the intermittent fasting, your results are always going to be less than they could have been if you'd coupled it, you know, with, sure. with an intense training program. Yeah. Now, is there a rule uh, that says, Hey, you, if you're going to do that, you, you got to stop a certain amount of hours before you go to bed. Is there anything, uh, no, that never came that never really came up okay uh, i don't know okay. I, 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 again i would ask him he might he might i don't know but okay 
And when when you're doing this after your four hours or before your four hours, are you just drinking water? That's pretty much all. No, you I'm have, coffee. Right? I'm a coffee fiend. And coffee. Yeah, yeah coffee, texture. water. Yeah. I wouldn't have any fruit juice. I don't think that's what you want. No, right. You know, that's a big insulin spiker. Uh, but but no. And and, it, and again, I, I think what the strategy is: you start out with a larger window, and you narrow down. Like maybe you start with the eight hour window. I don't know. Maybe, you know what I mean? And then seven hours. And I think most, most people do six. To me, okay. that's, that seems a little, I don't know, middle of the road. Yeah. Four, I, I, I didn't know. I tried six and it was like, I don't know. Is this really fasting? To me, it's just like skipping breakfast, mm-hmm. right? You know, that did, it didn't seem like much. But now the, the four hour window, yeah, that's a horse of a different color. Now it's like, man, I am feeling it these last couple of hours before it's time to eat. Yeah. Do, do people also do less than four hours? Uh, not to, I don't know. Um, I guess you could, but I haven't, I haven't heard of it. Because you know, I mean, that's I, like nothing. The good idea about doing it during the day is most people are so busy. Yeah. You know, it's actually a relief that you yes. don't sit down to eat. And yeah. yeah. You your, ener- your energy, your energy will pick up. No question about that. Uh, and you, you know, you, you just are—I don't know—you're—you're. Um, you're, I feel like I'm brighter, you know, mentally. I feel like uh, my electrons are firing better, or something. I don't, yeah, your you body can, doesn't have to deal with anything right now. It can just—it can just work. It doesn't have to say, "Oh, oh no, he just ate a, a you know a sandwich." Now let's stop what we're doing and deal with <laughs> digestion. Mm -hmm. I always had a theory, especially when I used to do those shows was I I didn't sleep very well. I was always, I was more alert as far as, uh, you know, getting up early and all that because you're hungry. You're supposed to be out hunting and finding food. And so you're alert when you're hunting, you're alert when, when you're out there in predators, that was millions of years of that stuff, man. And I always thought, you know, just in my conjecture that that was the case. Well, actually, it was 900,000 years. 900,000. Well, in the dinosaurs, they were hungry. (laughs) How about about consuming MCT oil before a fasted workout? Is that a good idea? What do you think, Marty? Well, I know that um, Perillo would say you just take a – his optimized whey shake only has three carbs – Mm-hmm. So if you take a whey shake, which is 30, I think 33 grams of protein and only three carbs, I don't think that's going to mess up your fasted cardio status. Do you, Jim? Three carbs? Uh, I would be wary of MCT by itself, uh, unless you have a cast iron stomach. Yeah. True. Or even like a bite of a potato or, you know, something. You're getting ready to train. That stuff's going to be burned off so fast. Anything you I, eat. I just have coffee. MCT. Get after it, man. Yeah. Just drink coffee and get after it. The, the, the caffeine is, is excites all the good stuff. Caffeine is a, is, is a positive stimulant for a workout. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Lots of studies on that. Um, <clears throat> well, this one kind of got out of order, but uh, how about uh, good stagnation busters for the press? Now, he didn't say bench press or overhead press, but how about how about for each? I mean, just more of the same, different grips and things like that. Would you say, or what do you guys what do you guys think? Jimmy, press, Marty. Good, Jimmy. Okay. I mean, I, I would say you you have to uh, focus on your weakest part of the exercise. 
So if it mm-hmm. is the lockout on the bench, let's do some close grips, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, focus on the weakest part and you could actually do a reset. So maybe you've hit a little plateau. Now, yeah. instead of going back to that initial uh, weight that you're based in, basing your one rep max off, off of, just, you know, bump it up a little bit and sort of start over. So if you started at 80 pounds, now this cycle is going to start at 90 pounds. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Instead of keep pushing it and pushing it in the wall. So I would try the assistant stuff first. Uh, and a lot of times it's just form issue, man. You know, if it's, if it's a lockout on the press, you can say, Oh, well, look, you're bleed, you're, you're bleeding out uh, strength through your knees, your knees bent when you go to lock it out, you mm-hmm. know? So it, it could be a form thing. Um, if also, it's a, if it's a larger issue, of stagnation you've got to have contrast you've got to introduce contrast right you've got to you've got to stop beating your head against the same wall expecting different results and again yes. the mistake that most people make is they say we're going to institute some contrast switching from eight reps to 10 reps is not contrast right right contrast is okay we're not going to do any more low bar back squatting we're going to go to front squat for six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, right? Or we're going to go to heavy dumbbell benches because we're so burnt out in these barbell benches, they are not moving. So let's go do some dumbbells. Let's do some, uh, the cambered bar, you know, let's do some, something totally different. And you've got, and, and, and elite trainers have this big bundle of proven effective routines, like a big arrow quiver, right? I've got 50, routines that I can pick from. The, the challenge is that when, when I, I run out of gas in one direction, what's one that significantly contrasts it also fires me up psychologically. Yeah, and a lot of it is psychological. Oh, it's all psych. The whole game's psychological. It's all yeah. perspective. Would you guys ever do partials? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like a, instead of on the rack, the, the rack always messed up my brought up my biceps tendonitis because mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't any give at all and i actually liked when we when i was going to do some partials I, I did them very rarely but i would use boards or a uh, a big pad or something like that and it's a little bit of give yeah but, um, you know that's another example of a, a, i just have problem you know the problem is is that people don't do the exercises in full range of motion anyway and then if you get partials like in a squat and then they you know they're they're not really improving I think it has more application to the, to the press. Um, also, it's a weakness um, stimulator. Like if you have grip problems, well, do some lockout with no straps and the deadlift from, you know, mm-hmm. six inches. <clears throat> do six inch lockouts. Well, my grip's terrible. Okay, well, you do some heavy lockouts, right? Uh, yeah, uh, Jim was talking about, oh, we're having a problem locking out uh, overhead press. Well, at the top, that's a tricep issue. So, you know, you can use a rack for partials in, in the tricep. Yeah, we, we use the rack, but it's not like, it's not a big part of our training. Right. Just once in a while. Yeah. I know Brad, Brad is big on partials. Brad loves it. Does he do it with the bench too? No. No. Okay. Just the, the deadlift. He's that. That's the, that's the main gun. Uh, and and again, this idea of he'll he'll do heavy rack work and only pull what every second week, I believe. Yeah. So he'll alternate a week of conventional deadlifting and a week of rack work, which actually is his way 
of avoiding stagnation. Right. Right. He, he found out that if he tried to deadlift every week for 12 weeks in a row, again, this is a guy pulling over 800 for reps that he just, it, it just wore him down. So he developed a strategy of if he's going to have a 12 week cycle, well, he's only going to pull six times. And the other six times he's going to do heavy, heavy deadlift rack work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that was his way of dealing with the stagnation that he, that he was feeling, particularly as he got heavier and heavier. Brett started out as a 242er and he ended up as a, what, 330. So, you know, there's a lot of physiologic change that goes on with, with big body weight increases. Right. Speaking of alternating, um, how would you program alternating the squat and deadlift each week? So I'm assuming the guy will do a squat one week and then the deadlift the next and then back to the squat again the following. No, no. No. (laughs) That's not allowed. No, no, no. You squat day one. You always start your training week off with the squat. Then three to four days later, you pull. Right, Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my guys pull after they squat because they don't have the opportunity to train during the week. So what happens in their case is they always are deadlifting pre-fatigue because they've just squatted, right? And, and 40 minutes after they squat, they start their deadlifts with the benches in between. So their deadlifts always suffer in training, but you know what? When they go to competition, everybody pulls 50 pounds more. Why? Why? Because now they've got a four hour gap between the time the squats go down and the deadlifts and they're like, wow, this is fantastic. I mean, I don't have to deadlift 40 minutes after I squat. So everyone else who deadlifts on different days, their goal is to try to match in competition what they do in training. My guys, they always pull 40, 50, 60 pounds more in competition than in training. So right. it's just interesting. I'm not saying that one trumps the other. <clears throat> uh, and classically, that is the strategy. You, you deadlift on uh, or squat on whatever Monday and, and pull on Thursday or you know squat on Saturday and pull on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I like, I mean, I think you got to, squat every week i mean you could probably get absolutely. away absolutely no 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 one does no no no, no. Wait, Marty, squat, wait, every wait, squat every week squat every week squat every week some form of the deadlift so like brad does you know it doesn't have to always be to pull from the floor right oh I, oh I, i'll skip the deadlift before i'll skip the squat right that's what i'm saying yeah okay yeah we're agreeing on that yeah, yeah. i'll let the deadlift go if i'm tired i'm not new no, i'm not pulling <laughs> You know, I don't know who asked this question, but it, it might be, you know, it might be an older person and just, you know, maybe the, the squat and doing the squat and the deadlift both each week is just too much on the knees or the back. And he wants no, to no, 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 no. Then they're, then they're going too heavy. Send me a video. Send yeah, me a video. Exactly. And, and where those knees don't bother you. I mean, let's yeah, yeah. Right. Jim, you want a video? Yeah. Send a video. All right. We'll send you a video. I don't know who it is, but. Send Jim a video. <laughs> Jim and I. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so <clears throat> what's the most common cause of knee pain while squatting, and how do we best deal with it? Knees coming forward too yep. far. From- 
yep, knees coming out over toes, bad technique, too narrow a stance, mm -hmm. bending forward, on and on and on, right? I'm always like, you know, if you squat like that and you think about sitting on a couch, you'll never hit the couch. Your knees will hit the couch. <laughs> your, your yes, the couch. yes. So let me see you squat naturally. Just squat like you're sitting down. Yeah. You're cute way forward when you're sitting down. They don't want to do, do that, Jim, because they're so weak. I know, and they can't get up. Oh, and they're so weak, and they, they can, oh, I can squat 400 when I use my bend forward style. Yeah, but you're four inches high. Yeah. And then when they go and they, they squat right and they, you know, they can't do 275 below parallel. They don't want that. Yeah. They want to do 405 high because they say, I squat 400. Well, Marty said something else um, along those lines uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said, for the bigger guys, you've got to have a little bit wider stance. you got to kind of let that gut settle in. Um, you know, you don't want to be too close together because you can't keep your, your shins vertical. It's everybody, JP, I just did a seminar a couple, three weeks ago with 40 people. Everybody squats with their, with a pinched squat stance. Almost mm -hmm. in every case we had to open people up. Right. And that also we're, we're looking to, we're looking to widen their stance because we want that we want to keep the vertebrae stacked on one another when we squat. If you, if your first movement, when you squat, when you break your knees, if your first movement is to bend forward, then all of a sudden your spinal column is becoming a derrick, a crane. Yeah. And we don't want that. We want to stay nice and upright. That way we don't get back injuries and it makes squatting all about legs. That's what we mm -hmm. want. We don't want any damn blended effort. Okay. We don't want to, to incorporate these other muscles to help us in the squat. No, 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 no. We want to suffer, right? Jim, you talk to, preach it, Jim, because you know what I'm talking about. You, you do your squats right and you struggle through those sticking points. That's where the gains are. You don't avoid them. You don't slip through them. I had a guy today, uh, called, uh, we did some video earlier and he, you've seen this, Jimmy. When they hit the sticking point, they throw their knees together yeah yes right they throw your knees together when you get the sticking point because that's how you can slip through the sticking point well no we pin our knees out we want to struggle through the sticking point that's where all the good stuff that's how you get legs like kirk and that's another ego thing too you know right? yep. oh, i'm lifting more weights yeah you're going to wreck your knees number one so just open up and eventually your adductors will catch up uh, always do Knees out, knees out. That's what I'm yelling at my guys as they're squatting on the descent and the ascent. Knees out, knees out, knees out. And when you hit the sticking point, knees out harder. Yeah. Push out on the knees harder, right? Yeah. Is there a certain way to, uh, you know, as coaches, is have you found like um, a, a good way to find somebody's natural uh, squat uh, stance width? I mean, is it just looking at it? Is it just how they feel? Is it, is there like a template or something you use? Of course, there's a template. That's what I do. That's what I do for a living. That's what I teach. That's what we do at these seminars. We show everybody exactly how they can squat perfectly. It's just a matter. And it doesn't matter if you're long torso, short torso. Oh, I have long legs. I can't, I can't squat correctly. Yes, you can. You just got to open your stance width up and be weak. Okay, but, and, you, and you might not even be able to stand up 
okay? Because you're so weak from that position, but that's where you, that's your foundation. That's where you've got to start from, structural integrity. But it, is it as simple as just saying, hey, open up the stance? Because some people go way wide. Some people don't go, you know. I don't see, a lot, of, I don't see a lot of people going way wide. You're talking about guys that wear canvas and stuff. I'm talking about normal people. I'm talking about regular yeah. humans. I don't care about power lifters. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't interest me. I'm talking about normal people who are trying to learn how do I squat correctly and get maximum benefit. The way you do it is you squat with a barbell like you do when you do a goblet squat. Now figure that out. Yeah. Well, now that's what I was looking for. That's, um, that's and that's where you start with the squat. That's if you're going to break down the squat, or if you're just being taught the, the squat for the first time, you start with the goblet squat, as Marty and Jim teach it, and that is where you you figure out where your stance is, how you know where that's comfortable. And everything is a replication of the technique you learn in the goblet. Right. From the from the goblet, we go to the front squat, right? Because yeah. now we, we're de dealing with a different implement, a barbell. And also, I don't goblet squat with a kettlebell. I goblet squat with a dumbbell, just like we used to do in the old days before they called it the goblet squat. You tuck the dumbbell up under your, your chin. I can get a dumbbell in tighter, and I, I, the, it doesn't strange my wrist a little bit to hold that uh, kettlebell. So you, you replicate, you, you learn the technique on the goblet squat. You replicate it in the front squat. Then you move to the high bar back squat. Then and only then do you go to the low bar back squat. But at each iteration, we're looking to replicate that, that goblet squat technique. Yeah, and it, to me, the technique and all that is great. And that we, that's why we do it. But the sneaky um, way to get really good at that or, or the sneaky, I don't know what you call it. Uh, at I, like, attribute. I, I like sneaky sneaky's good is you get a connection with your legs that you never had yeah you can develop some somebody goes and you and with marty we see it in the seminars oh i feel it oh i yeah. feel it. i never <laughs> felt that before when i squat <laughs> That's right. because we're not letting you use the barbell yet we're no. developing the connection yep. with, the, with the kettlebell and then or, or the dumbbell then we're developing them with the front squat with a lot mm -hmm. of quad right and then you get the privilege of putting that bar on your back because now yeah, you have privilege you know love that the privilege yeah yeah that all makes sense um and when you're doing that goblet squat you know and you guys always say when you're at the bottom you'll say now exhale now really come down release and come down and it's just when you do that it's the the difference is like night and day compared to how you've been doing it Mm -hmm. because nobody gets down that low no they don't they go to that they go to that strong point where they don't have to unlock the hips and then they come around right. and everybody can use a hundred pound kettlebell because it's right. you're doing partials you're just doing partial yeah and it's worthless yeah i always say go down to where your head feels like it's going to explode <laughs> <laughs> you would say something like that it's true man and you gotta <laughs> tell people, listen it's gonna feel like your head's gonna explode and yeah. break embrace it man mm -hmm. yeah they don't say that on these uh as seen on tv products <laughs> they <laughs> they that. that's, right. <laughs> that's right the thigh master it, do it, it until your head explodes <laughs> our, we have we have steel and i have such a tough time because we sell struggle <laughs> you know that's a tough sell baby you know the next flyer yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we sell struggle and pain and it's and they don't want to hear that they want to they want somebody that everybody wants to hear i have a method that allows you to develop massive muscles and incredible strength without the struggle yeah it struggles everything you know also that goblet squat's great i have a young lady i'm training now where i couldn't get her to keep her back flat in the bottom uh with the barbell and so i no. said it, man we're going to the kettlebell and i would just adjust her until she said oh that's what you want that's yeah. how it's supposed to the, feel the mm -hmm. pelvic the pelvic tilt and it's not so heavy that they can't that you can't like work with them while they're doing it you know what i'm saying yeah and, and when you use that bowed spine to yeah. squat you can't get a little parallel yeah right you, you just you can't you you because you freeze up you get down to that to that PowerPoint where you don't have to unlock the hips and you can't get, I mean, your, your shoulders might be down to your knees, but your butt is still high. Yeah. Cause you can't keep them upright. No. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, when you're down there at the bottom and you exhale and you come back up, you're recruiting muscle fibers that you probably weren't recruiting before because you were doing it wrong. Yep, but I mean, yeah, it just brings everything into place. It's, like it's like if people only did half bench presses. Yeah. Right. Everybody was doing a half. Oh, you only have to go down halfway. Then you go back up. Well, all of a sudden, the people who decided to go down all the way would go, whoa, there's a whole new level of development <laughs> down here. And that's all yeah. we're doing. That's all we're doing. Yeah. That's all we're doing. We sell struggle. You know, that would make a good uh, T-shirt for you guys. I that sell struggle. Awesome. That would be awesome. We sell struggle. My wife, my wife has a, her own shirt. She showed it to me the other day. You know what it, you know what it said? What? I'm with stupid. <laughs> Remember those in Ocean With an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> she said, cool. and she said, she said, come over here and stand on my right. You you know damn well Karwaski had one of those back in the day. He had to have. In 1979 on the boardwalk. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Uh, what are your opinions on speed work for powerlifting, like uh, plyometrics, explosive singles and doubles, etc.? Mm. No, not real. Uh, I mean, I mean, we'd have we 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 call it compensatory acceleration, but. This ludicrous idea that, that, that you throw away the negative and you crash the negative and then that builds more concentric strength, mm. it's just, no, 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 no. It's a, it's a coiled negative always followed by your compensatory acceleration. You push as fast as you can, but you're not going to push like an Olympic lifter pulling a power clean. You're mixing well, modes, right? Yeah. Marty, you told me years ago that you guys did a lot of uh, experimenting with uh, slow twitch and fast twitch, and it, you said it didn't really make a, a difference. Um, well, it depends a lot on the on the individual. I mean, like Mark Chalet was an incredible grinder. He was just man. He could he had big, huge hands, and he had a high pain tolerance. And man, he could buckle down and he could just work a lift like you wouldn't believe. And it might take 15 seconds for him to complete that lift, but it was going sure as God made little green apples. I mean, it was going to completion. 
Uh, and then a guy like Kirk with his smaller hands, uh, he, he had to, he had to pull from the Florida to the lockout in one and a half seconds, or he was going to lose the lift. So it depends on your physiology, I guess, right? How you're made up. Right. Jimmy, is that for sports or increasing one rep max? Uh, you're asking me? Yeah. Was that question about sports or increasing one uh, No, for powerlifting. Oh, for powerlifting. Here, here's what mm -hmm. you need to do. Dan Austin deadlifts. Right, mm -hmm. Marty? Turn it around. You know, you got a slow... Uh, Controlled negative, you get six inches from the ground, turn that sucker around as fast as you can. Two inches from the ground. Two inches. Like there's an egg sitting there and you can't touch the egg. It's, you know? your, it's your infant's son's hand. And that's speed. That's that's speed. You know, I always thought when people are like, well, I'm I'm having a speed day. Yeah. All that is is a general recovery day because the stimulant isn't high enough to do anything. No. You're doing 60%. No. I set to three or whatever. Oh, All I'm doing is I, I could go, you know, go for a nice walk or whatever. It's just yeah. a general recovery. It's you're just, you're just cutting into your recovery. It doesn't do anything. Right. There's, I, I won't say who, we, I, I won't get into it, but I had, I had Mr. Speed stand next to me at the world championships one time. We were in Maui. Uh, I think that was 86. And, we're watching Chalet lift, and um, this famous coach goes to me, oh, yeah, you can tell he does a lot of singles. And I looked at him, and I, and I went, yeah, well, you know what? He just beat your best man by 100 pounds in the deadlift. <laughs> and that's true. Mark pulled 860. His, his best guy pulled 760. It's like, yeah, well, keep, keep with that speed work. It's really working out. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, for sports, um, not to get into it too much, is – the application is for change of direction, you know, like the plyos and the bounding and the skipping and the hopping. But for, yep. I mean, you know, I never did it when I was lifting. Trying no. to lift. I would no. just try to push nope. as fast as I could. What about, uh, <clears throat> he asked, what about uh, chains or, or bands for the bench or squat? Did Kirk or anybody else that you trained with use these? Kirk no. had a chain around his neck. That was about the only chain. Yeah, that's the only chain Kirk had. <laughs> Now, I like, around his neck. but I don't like the bands so much. So we did some experimenting with at Penn with the bands and we always tried that stuff out first. And I just thought the low back pressure, we probably used too much, but the low back pressure was really high in the, uh, in the squat. And I, I didn't like the way they felt in the bench. That's an individual thing. Now the chains I like because in every exercise, you have a point where your leverage improves tremendously. Um, and when the chains gather off the ground, you know, then it never improves. It's hard the whole way through. So if you take our philosophy of compensatory acceleration and apply that to some chain work, well, now you're, you know, you're killing it. You know, in my opinion, I think, I think they have some right. application. Now, can you get beastly strong without them? Of course, of course. And sure. there's been, you know, people have been doing it forever. I think it's a tool that you can, you can use not real big on the bands, but I like the chain. I think they're superfluous. We never had a problem locking out our squats. I didn't need to be stronger at the top of my squat. I needed to be stronger at the bottom. I never had a problem locking out my deadlift. If I got my deadlift over my knees, forget it. It was gone. It was history. It was mine. Get it to your knees. Just get it to your knees. I didn't need. I didn't need to be stronger at the top of a deadlift, and that's what a band and chains do. They make you stronger in the part of the lift that you have already have excess strength in. Mm, that's a good point. That is a good point. Damn, Marty, good point. 
Well, that's why they had me on the show. <laughs> what about uh, what about isometrics like planks or wall sits or anything like that, Jimmy? Did you have your students do that? Your, no, your athletes? Once they learn how to squat and deadlift, we don't touch the abs. Um, you know, a strong person can hold a plank for three days. If he's talking about like pushing against a movable object. Um, I train the wrestlers with isometric holds. Yeah. We're in that a lot. You know, so yeah. we, Rob Widener came up with where you're in a rack on the deadlift and you pull it six inches and there's a nut, there's the crossbar right there and you hold it against that crossbar. Well, now, Rob didn't come up with that because you want to know where that came from? You cast it. No. Yeah, we could have. <laughs> no, yes. Actually, when the, when the power rack, when the York power rack first came out, what the protocol was is that they would break every lift down into thirds, okay. right? So it'd be in the bench, it would be from the chest to, I don't know, six inches off the chest. Then the mm -hmm. middle would be from six inches to 12 inches. And then the lockout would be from 12 to 18. Uh, you know, I'm just, yeah, yeah. Was, that could be off a little bit. And what the strategy was is that you would go, one rep touch the top pin, two rep, touch the top pin, three rep, touch the top pin and hold it, hold it, hold it as long as you can, hold it, hold it, push, 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 and it would eventually push you back down, right? Then you do the, the middle third, one rep, touch the top pin back down, touch the top pin back down, third rep, hold, you push and hold. So that was the, that was the, the, the deal. And I, we get a lot of isome, uh, isometric work just doing our powerlifting, don't we, Jim? Yeah, you, sure. you have period, you have, you know, with a really heavy lift, you know, you're, I mean, you're barely moving. Isotonic, I guess, is, is more accurate. Right. Barely it's moving. Happening, but yeah. I, I like isometrics. I think, I think it's, I think that that's part of absolute strength. I think in absolute strength, it's, it's absolute strength, it's isometric strength, and it's isotonic. Yeah. I like the, uh, another thing I did with the wrestlers, we would do chin ups uh, or pull ups or whatever, but you're, where your palms are both uh, not neutral, facing the other way. Mm -hmm. I'd have them come, you know, with weight on them because they can do a million reps. So they'd have right. weight and they would come halfway down and hold it for as long oh, as they could. Yeah, oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that was a good one for them. Because, you, man, I, I, you know, when I would go to those matches, I'm like, damn, we need to do some isometrics. Cause yeah, because that's what they, that's all they do, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's a different energy source. Right. It, it, it's it's awesome. not the same. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Gillingham was telling me that he does a lot of planks and I think he, he incorporates those as part of his uh, warm up routine. And he was saying he wanted me to start doing them, you know, because I've started uh, deadlifting again. So he wants me to uh, plank. I said, I'll do anything you want, man, as long as you do it with me. So I said, I said, what's the longest you ever held it? He goes, well, he was doing a couple of minutes, you know, <laughs> Uh, on each side so he you know what is he six five three thirty that's a lot of weight to hold up which tells you brad doesn't need to do planks anymore and i love saying <laughs> yeah. if you hold it for two minutes man you know how boring yeah. it is i'd be like okay yeah. put some weight put some weight on my back uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you don't want to do them before the workout why because if you're trying to squat with your abs are tired you're trying to deadlift when your abs are tired do you you're, want you're, you're, you're pre-fatiguing yeah you don't want to do to uh and not, not talking about my boy. I'm just saying, you know, you don't want to get, that's like training your triceps before. Well, you I'll talk about Brad. I mean, he's, he's, he's my boy too, but I'm just saying Brad loves to train. 
Yeah. And he, he does a ton of, well, so do you, Jimmy. Uh, and, and he does a lot, a lot, a lot of exercises. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that a plank, I don't know. I don't get it. My son was nine. He did like a four-minute plank. Was, okay, we're not doing planks. <laughs> Be here all day. Yeah. Um, what about for someone uh, rehabbing their back, like herniated discs? That's that's what I have too. Um, what, what's a deadlift strategy you guys would recommend as far as rep sets, increasing the weight over time? You know, for talk back, about that for a back injury. Yeah, for like somebody that's got herniated discs and they oh, want to God. start rehabbing their back and getting it stronger. Right. Uh, go to a physical. Go to a qualified. Go to go to uh, Ryan Chow. That, that's <laughs> right. what I'd say. I'm not working with somebody who's got that kind of condition. I'm not gonna. No. Mm -mm. I know what Phil does, and we talked about this, Marty, uh, the other day. They deadlift and they just do they do it off the blocks, and it's. And maybe, you know, 95 to 135 for a guy who used to deadlift 500, but they're making that weight on the way down, you know, feel like it's 500. Right. And then they're pausing <clears throat> and then they're coming back and it's all slow and controlled. And peewee poundage. Yeah. And you got to go light until that's, you're that's, that's the thing that scares me about these guys coming back off injuries. Cause oh, yeah, I had a 600 pound deadlift and I blew a disc and it's like, well, that guy's going to try to get back up to 600 and this is not going to end well. Yeah. I mean, after my back surgery, I had to make a decision. Did I want to squat or did I want to deadlift? And I chose to squat. Um, and then what was funny, and I, I don't know, I've told the story probably before, but I hadn't deadlifted. It was probably four or five months. And I pulled 605 just like that. And yep. I went into my office and called Marty. <laughs> yeah, if you deadlift correctly. Yeah. And squatting you're going to keep it because your legs are strong yeah your legs are, as chalet chalet was the first one to point it out he said if you deadlift the way we deadlift you push up the squat the deadlift automatically goes on period it's like yeah right on Mark. well so i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of doing this myself because i've got three herniated discs Jeez. and you, you know i took years off from the deadlift and the squat and after we had Ryan Chow on, he gave me the confidence to start this stuff up again, you know, because I had my doctor telling me, hey, you can't load the spine, you know, doctors, a lot of them. This guy's scaring, scaring you off of everything. Yeah. So, so I started doing it again and I'll tell you the way I'm doing it. And I talked to Gillingham about it and, you know, I got his advice and he said, look, just obviously start off nice and slow. So basically what I'm doing is, um, I was doing sets of five, just very lightweight. I'm just really concentrating on form, nice and slow. Um, and then um, I had a little bit of a snafu. So I talked to Brad again. He said, try singles for a while. He said, because, you know, on, on maybe the, the fourth or fifth one, you're getting a little fatigued and your form might be compromised. So try one, you know, sets of one. Yeah. So I've been doing that. I'm, I'm adding maybe 10 pounds every two or three weeks, four weeks, oh my God. Going, very, going very slow. Just, it's all about form, but I'll tell you what. In the, um, year, in the year 2050, it'll be up to 300. Yes, that's my goal. <laughs> uh, now, funny you say that. I think my goal just for now is, is about 300 because I figure if I get to 300 again, that's a nice safe weight that will allow me uh to, well, that, to that'll be a body weight deadlift right be yeah yeah it'll be uh, allow me to have my mobility and i can tell you 
since I started doing this, I can move so much better. My my back feels like it's protected now against oh, just normal living. Strong again. You know, so yeah. it's making such a big difference. So listen, just, oh, you got it totally right. And Brad's totally right. You know, I'm not going to say any names, but one of my sons uh, is trying out for a team and they're doing sets of eight in the clean, sets oh. of eight to 12 in the deadlift. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh God. I mean, turn it around. 12 sets of three instead of three sets of 12. Now we're yeah. not fatigued. Now we're, you know, because guys get hurt when they get fatigued. Yes. Singles in the yeah. clean. There's no reason not to do a single in the clean. Do a single in the clean. There's so many things technically that can go wrong that we want them fresh, like like Charlie Francis with the sprints. It's yeah. all the same stuff. It's all I, and if you look at any Olympic lifters, that's all they do anyway. Yeah. And if they say it's a set to two, they do one. They wait a little while. They do another one. Oh, that's a set to two. No, it's not. Uh, Dr. Dr. Jim Wright, all right, uh, rest in peace. Uh, Jimmy was the, uh, he was the science editor for Flex Magazine for 15 years. Yeah. He was the first one. He said, man, he said, he could, uh, Jim was, had been a colonel in the Army in charge of the Army fitness program. He said all the injuries in the deadlift occur, he said, because the legs and the lower back can keep repping after the upper back becomes fatigued. So you can keep going, but your upper back is exhausted. Now it starts to slump. And then what comes next? The lower back. Yeah. Well, no, but, but, but now the upper back is vulnerable mm. because it's fatigued, but you can keep going. So yeah, a 12, that's insane. That that's, that's, uh, that's coaching malpractice. I was just going to say that. Yep. Yeah, so that's exactly what Brad told me. He said, "Cut it down to ones, because then you're then you're fresh. You've got one rep to do. Your form will be pristine." I, I would suggest two, because that will teach you about the control negative. Yes, and that I was just going to say that is my biggest thing: controlling that negative, using the entire thing, and just being very careful. Well, well, there's, no, there, there's no negative on a single. Right. So if you do two, then well, you're getting yeah. negative. Yeah. Or even if you well, just what, and don't do the concentric on the second rep, you got to get the lowering phase in there. Well, yeah. I mean, but you're getting one. You're getting one. But no, there's no uh, negative in this single. You're talking about, oh, then you lower it really slowly? Yes. Oh, oh after you're done. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I do, I do my rep. I, so, I, I, you know, I execute the, the deadlift. And then on the way down of that first one, I'm just going very slow, very controlled. You know, T tell Brad, Marty says do two. Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll compromise and you'll do one and a half. OK, JP, uh, is that off the floor or is that off pocket? No, that's off the floor. OK. Good. And I warm and I warm up first with some kettlebells. So I'll I'll simulate a deadlift with with light kettlebells. I'll warm up the knees. I'll warm up the lower back, and then I'll get over to the bar. Are you sumo or conventional? Conventional with a hook okay. grip. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's for me. It's not about the the weight or anything else. I have a realistic. I'm I'm going to be fifty in a few months. I'm I'm very and I've been doing this for a long time. You have to be realistic. I mean, for me with the, the three herniated discs, it, truly, if I want to be functional into my 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, um, I've got to get this right and I've got to do it right. Otherwise, I'm going to do myself more harm than good.
but my back, since I've been doing this, it, you know, I just kick myself in the ass and go, you know, why haven't you done this for, didn't know. for, didn't for know. so many years? Because honestly, I didn't know. I took the doctor's advice. He says, oh, and my doctor, you know, he's a, he was it's a back surgeon. Has he ever been strong? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was still out there, I'd, I'd go ask him that. I Probably mean, not. When you go to med school, do they say, okay, now we're going to talk about the squat and the deadlift? I mean, I, you know. I don't, I'm um, not talking cool because he lifts, man. So he gets it. He's like, all right, well, just squat 70%. But, but my guy, my guy actually asked me in the office, he goes, and with a smirk on his face, he goes, so are you going to still continue to lift weights? And I said, yeah, but I'm going to do it differently. You know, and he just kind of shook his head. Like he wanted me to quit altogether. <laughs> Get weak because weak is always better. When in life, when yeah. in life. Here's some pills. This'll, this will do this instead. Yeah, get weaker because then you'll be better. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's like liberals. Go ahead. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? No, no. Oh, yeah, there's a lot, but I'm holding on. Oh. Get Stacy on there, Mark. Hey. <laughs> no, don't get her on there. Oh, oh, <laughs> you made me lose my place here. Where was I? Let's see. Okay. Um, Okay, here's one. Oh, <clears throat> here's a good one. And this is one we were talking about and that I utilize uh, frequently. I think it's great, especially as you get older, because I think it's safer. Uh, talk about making lightweights heavy. How and why do we do it? And do we cycle it? Marty, you're the expert. No, man. Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> well, I, I'm big on that when you're first learning. I'm big on that when you're injured and I'm big on that in a beginning phase of a training cycle mm -hmm. um, when you're injured it's safer right so yeah. you can use lighter weight and I say that all the time make this feel like your max you know yeah and how that how does that feel well you got to control the negative you got to have a pause or you know something to increase the intensity at the bottom maybe not touching mm -hmm. and then I'm, I'm not huge on a really slow concentric but a controlled you know, a controlled, not where you're getting sloppy. You don't want them to get sloppy. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, when you, when, when you, when you embrace correct technique, you're, you're going to be weak because we're going to be put in body positions that you haven't been put in before. You're going to be put in leverage positions that are new to you. So you're going to be weak. So it's like, we're really, it's really sort of, backwards really what we're saying is hey when you embrace these these archetypical signature techniques you're not going to be strong and you're going to be weak so it's uh that that's going to make your lightweights heavy right there but if you stay with it over time it's uh you know it's the it's the it's the ticket to to nirvana i mean that's that's the whole game now, Marty, when we slow these reps down, when we slow down the rep speed, I've often heard you say, don't slow it down too much because then it just takes all your strength away. So, I mean. Yeah, we call it barely slowed. That's, right. that, that's our phrase. Yeah, because okay. they always ask me, how slow is slow? It's a barely slowed. Right. And again, we, we increase the braking as the payload approaches the turnaround. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll say that again. We increase the braking as the payload approaches the turnaround, okay? You don't, there's no need to take five seconds to descend the first foot in the squat. 
That's a waste of energy. The only place you need the braking is at the bottom, at the turnaround. Same thing with the deadlift. So again, barely slowed is, is our uh, motto. Lightweight's okay. heavy, barely slowed. And what was the other, what was the other bumper sticker? Struggle, what is it? We sell struggle. <laughs> yeah, we sell struggle. We sell pain. We sell struggle, we sell struggle. Struggle, pain's ever done. Ours is not, by the way, ours is not pain, it's discomfort. There's a difference. What, Jim, what about um, <clears throat> making lightweights heavy? Um, because, well, with, with anything, powerlifting or, or especially bodybuilding, we're always trying to shake things up, insert contrast, trick the body, confuse the body, you know, so it'll grow and it'll change. We've got to give it reason to do that. So what about the making lightweights heavy for bodybuilding? Would you cycle that in for, I don't know, eight weeks? I think it's almost every set. You know, if, uh, you know you're going to get that muscle damage with the eccentric. That's what you want. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you're slinging weights around, I mean, unless you're just a genetic freak, if you're slinging weights around, you're not going to get the muscle growth that you're looking for. I mean, it's... Yeah controlled negative it's a so let's just picture a preacher curl it's mm. a very controlled negative it's a pause at the bottom and you know I'm, I'm trying not to use momentum on the concentric so it's going to look slow i'm trying but it's going to look slow uh, all the way to the top squeeze and same thing again slow controlled but you know you nowadays you don't and we've talked about this before you don't see the the uh pro guys doing that it's like half reps real fast you know, they're just yeah, pumping just, it up. Yeah, you know, that's those are out those are outliers, man. And the tons of chemicals you can just pump, 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 yeah. sarcoplasmic uh, hypertrophy or whatever, and and not have that hard earned, dense, thick muscle by doing that kind of stuff. Is there a place? Yes, there's a place for almost everything in training. But uh, I think most of your time should be spent, you know, one arm row where you're pausing at the hip. Right, and then slowing yeah. the way down, extending. You know, you know why people don't like to do that? Because you feel it, man. Yeah. You know, your muscles start to burn after the second rep with that. Uh, well, you can't uh, go uh, as heavy. Also, also, with the partial, you can use more weight, which is a big ego. You know, big ego pumper, right? I, I mean, a guy would say, ah, "I'd rather use a hundred pound dumbbell on my rows than uh, sixty pounds correctly." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of the day. We took, uh, we took an Olympic uh, dumbbell handle. We put four 25s on each side, a 10 on each side, and the collar just barely fit. And this girl goes, what are you going to do with that? We're going to do rows with that, <laughs> one-arm rows. We did them. They weren't pretty, but we did them. Anyway. Four inches, right? <laughs> That's probably why my back's blown up. Um. Okay, here's one on uh, food, quick meals with quick meals with real food. I'm not talking about shakes or anything like that or, or bars. Um, can you guys recommend uh, for people on the go, um, like quick, real food? Jimmy likes hot dogs in a microwave. Yeah, at 7-Eleven. Or you got <laughs> highs out there, right? Hot, yes, highs. highs. Yes. Very good. I love highs. Ice cream sandwiches and highs with the hard yeah. weight. Oh, and don't forget KFC. You love KFC, right, Jim? <laughs> Marty said to me the other day, "You like KFC, Jimmy?" Yeah. And I was like, "Hell yeah!" And he's like, 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then Steele told me, he said, every, every birthday, his family takes him to KFC and he gets his own bucket. Own bucket. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he's, and he's not sharing. And I'd say, can I eat it in the car, Dad? He'd say, yep. And I'd, be, I'd have like six, seven pieces in from like <sighs> Oh, man. You're making me hungry. Okay. Yeah, you're in your window right now, aren't you? Aren't you supposed to be eating? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm grumpy. That's why I'm grumpy. That's why I'm grumpy. Well, uh, we'll hurry it up so you can go eat. Uh, they asked Mike Ditka one time, they said, you know, uh, William Refrigerator Perry retired, and they said he was moving back to South Carolina. And Ditka said, that's bad news for the South Carolina chicken population. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, well, to answer this question, one thing that pops in, into my mind is, uh, and I've told this story before, uh, when I was working for Lou's Wick, American Sports Network, I, one, and I was 19. One of my jobs was to go around and, and pick up these uh, uh, Mr. Olympia contenders and, and take them to shoots and video shoots, photo shoots. Did you ever pick up Paul Dillette? I bet he did. Yes, I, yes, I picked up Paul Dillette at uh, LAX one time. Did he fit in the car? Well, it's funny because at the time I had a I had a Tercel, a little Toyota Tercel stick shift with no air conditioning. And Lou used to send me down to pick up these guys when I had Paul and everybody freaked out when Paul came here for the first time. He came in from Florida <laughs> and everybody just freaked out because he was so damn wide and huge. He had stretch marks on his forearms. Um and uh, he, I had to tow him around in that little car. And I, I had to like lean halfway out the window to drive. <laughs> anyway, um, a gent by the name of Akeem Albrecht. Yeah, um, yeah. I know Akeem, yeah. Who used to compete. He, he later turned to wrestling. I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, he was a nice guy too. And he said, I make these pancakes I take a blender, I put um, I put oatmeal in there, I put egg whites, I might put a little bit of fruit in there. I mix it all up into pancake batter and make those and then I take them with me. I can put them, keep them in my cooler or whatever. I haven't done that in a long time, but that was a good way to get, uh, you know, egg white protein, yep. some oatmeal, it's a very clean meal. There's that story with uh, Dorian's at the airport and he doesn't have his, his oatmeal cakes with cinnamon, you know, they put a little cinnamon in there and he called Nicole Bass and she brought him to the airport and <laughs> some meal. Uh, I like jerky and a piece of fruit, man. How okay. about that? How about a bag of jerky? You know, don't get the crap, you know, at the Wawa, but get some good jerky and uh, an apple or two. Man, that's perfect. It takes less than 10 minutes to whip up a, a, an egg omelet. Well, well, Jim, now you used to be a pen all day. So you, you, I imagine you had lunch hour, but you probably had to sneak in a lot of snacks and stuff. So what were you doing back in those days? I just brought a bag of food. I would just bring tuna in a, a can. bag of chips. Uh, no, tuna in a can and, uh, you know, coleslaw and, and Tupperware, and, you know, uh, or just plain cabbage, really. Um, and then sweet potatoes are easy. You cook them in the morning, takes no time at all. Throw them in yeah. the cooler and you're good to go. But, you know, I, I'm not... I wasn't thinking about taste whatsoever. I just, you know, you're just looking at it as just like a workout. You know, I need this, need this food. So, I mean, if, if I wasn't dieting for something, I was going out to Billy's cart and eating a cheesesteak, you know. 
if you pop open a can of tuna, man, it takes me forever to eat that. Just plain. Yeah. It takes like a half hour. Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's just so dry and I don't like it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, let's see. What's this next one? Um, well, here's one for people working through injuries that can do the core four exercises, but they can't go hundred percent effort. Uh, what do you suggest for those exercises? And would you build in accessory exercises to fill the, fill in the gaps? If we can't do hundred percent effort on those lifts, are we still doing them? I mean, it's just such a broad, uh, question, you know, like what, what, like what's a hundred percent, like you're talking about how hard are they able to go is the, is the question. Can they train in that 80 to 90% range? Yeah. Then you're getting a lot out of it. You don't want to have to do, you know, the hundred percent all the time anyway. So, uh, but if it's a case where you're injured, I would say, like Marty always says, let's work on getting a new max in this lift. Let's get a new max in this lift or getting this mm -hmm. body part up, you know, and, and try to rehab those other ones or rest those other ones. To get them better so you don't want to keep beating a dead horse you're not going to get better you're just not going to get better uh, right. so it's the motion usually that bothers people um you know if you've been squatting as long as i have um you know that's a lot of repetitions in the same line of of work you know so you know it's not a bad idea to say okay well i'm not going to be doing the low bar back squat now um because that bothers whatever and so i'm going to switch to front squats or you know, you could even do like a split squat or something like that. And then as those muscles or whatever your injury is gets better, then you can move back towards them. Yeah. And if you do this for long enough, you're always uh, ducking and weaving injuries like that, especially shoulder injuries. And you're just, you know, like no, for that's years. Not, that's, that, that's not really true. I don't have injuries. I haven't had injury. I haven't been, I haven't been injured in 25 years. Well, I have. I've had shoulder well, injuries. I mean, I'm just saying that that you made a generalization. You say if you're in this business for long enough, you will get injured, and, and that's right. not true. Everybody except for Marty Gallagher, and the that, that, that's, that's, that's not that is not true. There are so. I mean, uh, when we had uh, oh, Jimmy, I'm, I'm trying to think of your uh, diet guru, uh, Rich Salky. Yeah, when Rich was on. Uh, it, it, again, long-term weight trainers tend to be bulletproof. It tends to, to, to keep you from getting that. What will hurt you is incorrect technique. If you, use, if you use weight training incorrectly, it will hurt you. But if you do it correctly, it's a strengthener. I had a long conversation with Stu McGill, the, the spinal expert, on this, this same thing. He talked about the strengthening and effect of correct techniques on guide wires and these the internal structures that we have to keep our body together. So again, I don't, I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I just think that's just sweeping generalization. That's not accurate. I hear you. And I agree with what you say. Now I would ask Jim. Now Jim's had back surgeries and things like that. Jim was that from poor technique? Um, I, I, it was from playing 14 years of football, I think. So okay. I, I think going into the powerlifting realm that I was going into, I had stuff I already had to deal with. Um, right. You know, it's just anytime you're trying to go all out and, and do that kind of stuff and you're just getting pounded on and all that, you, you feel great when you're 
you know, first starting off doing it. But you're, if you ask anybody who's played college football, you know, uh, you're always you're never healthy. You're never like, oh, boy, man, I feel. Yeah, you feel wonderful because you jacked yourself up on something. But, you know, you're always. But got to- but, but the baseball players are fine. Because it's not it's non-contact. Right. You're not. Yeah. You're not banging into other people. Right. 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 And there's a, well, back then you, there was a very uh, definite overtraining. You know, we practiced three times a day. You know, allowed ice. You know that kind of thing. So sure. it was different. They they've paid a lot more attention to the the uh, you know the the hitting and banging. But the problem with that is, and there's a little bit of a tangent is now you're not conditioning your body to get hit. So right. it's a catch twenty two. Like right. hey, we're not going to hit, but now you're going to get more injured when you start to hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you're and you're going to lose because they're going to knock the hell out of you, right? It, it's it's like these these fighters who don't spar, you know, like the, the Chinese martial artists, they don't spar. They get in a real fight. You get hit in the face and wow, all your technique goes out the window. That doesn't go with my kata. <laughs> your chi so Jim, will protect Jim, for you. the football, for the football players that get injured now, you're going to have to, and they can't do a, a shoulder press or whatever. You're going to have them do other different things like oh, yeah. accessory exercises. And yeah. so that's kind of what I meant. I mean, you're, you're going to, there, there's always a way to get it done. It's just, no you got to kind of pivot no and figure out what's not going to cause you further injury, right. but still. And we belt squat. You can't load your spine. Then we gobble squat. You, you know, there's a lot of, I very, love the belt. Never squat. The best. It's not as good because it's not as hard on your body. But it's, it's a way that we can keep some stimulation in there until you're healthy enough to do the. Right. Yeah. yeah and when I had that. It, I, brought my, I brought my bench press up 45 pounds when I broke my leg. Right. Because you said, now I'm going to set a record in this. So that's the worst right, thing. Right. Well, I can't train. I can't train. I broke my leg. Yeah, you can. What's wrong with your upper body, man? Exactly. Well, no. When I tore that meniscus, Marty goes, all right, you still got one more leg. Yep. You got another yeah. leg, don't you? Yeah. 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 Train it. Train it. What do they call it? The uh, Yeah, where you train you you strengthen the muscle next to the injured muscle and that helps the injured muscle even without training it. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but there's a there's a medical phrase for that. But yeah. Yeah. Uh let's see. Can I go back to the to food question for a minute? There are, uh, I can make salmon in less than eight minutes. That's okay, it. it's not it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, you, you, once you get these basic cooking skills down, how long does it take to make a burger? Right, that there's no reason that it should take you more than fifteen minutes if you're in a hurry right. to make quality food assuming you have it and, and you have your prep techniques down. That's, and again, in this age of YouTube, any, any food that you can think of, you can call up in YouTube and you can have an expert show you exactly how to make that. This is an amazing age for, for cooking techniques. They're all at your fingertips. You want to learn how to roast a chicken, which is a very easy thing. Call it up on YouTube. So simple, right? And you get you can get great advice from the top chefs in the world, right? Yeah. For anything, we got a special forces guy. I was talking to him. I said, "Man, who made? Where'd you get that dining room table?" He's like, "I made it." 
And I was like, well, how'd you, do, how'd you learn how to do that? YouTube. Everything is YouTube. Yeah. You got a cornfield in the backyard. YouTube. You know. Yeah, yeah didn't he rewire his house, right? Yeah, he, built, he built like half a house as a workroom. Right. And then how'd you learn how to do electricity? YouTube. YouTube. Like, That's cool, man. I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Marty, you're not into the food prep thing, right? Because every time we say Tupperware, you roll your eyes. Well, no, I'm, you know, and again, the working man, I mean, that's, that, that's how you, that's how you transport the quality of food. Yeah. 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 But um, the, the idea of, of six bodybuilder meals, you know, with a gallon of distilled water, you know, that, that to me is not realistic in my, you know, my reality, I'm not going to do that. Right. And Jim's model has always been, who needs Tupperware when you've got 7-Eleven or, or Highs, right? Just go down there and get a hot dog. I feel sorry for people around the country that don't have Highs. <laughs> yeah, we used to I went, I, It was funny. I went down to, uh, I was in Maryland. I was working with my, my dad. And uh, we went to Highs for lunch. And, and, you know, they had cold cuts and stuff. So the lady goes, okay, what do you want? She goes, I'll take a, I go, I'll take a sandwich, a roast beef sandwich, and put a, a pound of beef on that. So, <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, a pound of beef. I was like 18, right? Yeah. I was all fired up. And so she she bags up the roast beef and goes to hand it to me. I go, well, aren't you going to put bread on that? <laughs> <laughs> My dad started laughing his ass off. <laughs> She's like, what? I said, yeah, man, put some bread on that thing. Come on, I'm fired up. Oh, <laughs> uh, we should probably end it right there. <clears throat> okay. Probably good enough. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, check out Marty's weekly column Raw with Marty Gallagher at Iron Company. Um, you can find his latest article, how bodybuilding training differs from strength training. That's when's, on the reactive, when's the reactive article going up? Uh, the reactive, uh, article is going up this week. That's, that's a good one. Because we're having, uh, we're going to be having Phil Wagner on. So that'll be good. Um, so you can check out his latest article, Marty's, on our website, and you can uh, don't miss him on Instagram. He's at at, at the Marty Gallagher. That's where you yep. on Instagram. And the, at, and yep. Stacy. Yes, we always mention her. Now we got to throw her in. Yep. Uh, her website is functional-strength.org. Yep. And. Um, she's got all kinds of articles and, and different things that we don't actually have on our website. So it's a good mix. <clears throat> and then um, visit Iron Company for all your gym equipment and flooring needs. You know what we got a lot of right now? We've got, um, you know, if you're looking for, for a good dumbbell set for the house, mm. Uh, mm. we've got some nice compact fixed weight dumbbells. They, they look, Marty's always saying how he likes the rubber hex dumbbells. You know, yes, sir, with the so we, we, right. We have some that look exactly like that, but they're made of urethane. Now, one of the biggest problems with rubber hex dumbbells, when you put them in a confined setting, like a, a home or a garage gym, they have a rubber smell to them. And some people are real sensitive to that. So 
the urethane does not have that. So really you've got the, hmm. you know, the nice hex dumbbells without that rubber smell. So we've got uh, plenty of those urethane uh, hex dumbbells on our set, on our site, uh, ready to ship out. And uh, they've got a two year warranty and they go up to, well, 125, we've got up to 100 in stock right now. So check those out. And then last but not least, we've got Jimmy Steel articles all over our website. They're taking over slowly but surely. Um, his last article, Summertime Outdoor Training, is up right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's very interesting about training, getting back to the basics during summertime, going outside, training, running, doing all that stuff. Um, and then you're writing another one. It's about uh, dad strength, right? Old man strength. Yeah, dad strength. Old man strength. All right. What's the uh, what's the rationale for that? What's the? Well, we're, I'm trying to sort of figure it out. You know, like why why was that guy in the neighborhood or your father who never lifted weights before? Why was why was he able to, you know, take that challenge and lift that barrel or something like that? And we were all like, oh my god! Or when the football coach grabs you to demonstrate something, you're like, Man, he's really strong. What's the deal? You know. Uh, so I, I started doing some stuff about you know, how men used to actually do a lot of work, <laughs> you know, and my dad's time, he, you know, although my dad became a professor, he worked his way through college by loading boxcars. Yeah. Man, <clears throat> a bigger deal. And my buddy, Charlie De Pasquale, his dad was a bricklayer. Yep. Arms. He was like five, three mm-hmm. pounds, but he had these Paul Bunyan freaking <laughs> forearms and he'd break your hand with his grip, you know, so. And you, you, you know what they had the brick, a lot of the bricklayers would start off as what they call hod carriers. What do you mean? And HOD. They would carry those, the apprentices would carry the bricks, okay. right? So you got really strong yeah. as an apprentice bricklayer because you, you were the guy who would manually haul the bricks in. So it's interesting. Uh, when I first moved up here uh, from DC, uh, I was out in the front yard one day and couple of kids came by on a bicycle. I was in a tank top and they stopped. And the guy, kid looked at me and he goes, hey, mister, did you used to be somebody? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Oh, my God. That's great. Um, Jim Steele also has a website. It's uh, Boss Barbell. That's B-A-S Barbell.com. Check that out. What do you got going on over there right now? Uh, I got to put a new one up, but it's why, and, you know, I just got a list of why this happened or why this happened. You know, Uh-oh. Like, <laughs> I told you, like, uh, why don't people understand that when they outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns, that kind of thing. Oh, all right. Well, okay. go, if you're wondering about that stuff, go see uh, bossbarbell.com. Uh, and, and Jim will tell you all about it. Why does he only listen to Ryan Chow, not to us? You know, that kind of <laughs> <laughs> I listen. It's a culmination of, uh, yeah. you know, little bits of, of everybody sprinkled in. All right. All right, guys. Good all one. Right. Thank you very much. All right. And now, now, now next week we're having Rob. Phil. Phil. I'm sorry. I get Phil. Wagner's Phil Wagner. Yeah, yeah, we're having. Then that's next week, right? Yeah. Super. Uh, yeah. Super. Yep. Dr. Phil Wagner. And again, yeah. we're going to be, we're going to be talking about tech amplifying athletics, right, Jim? Yeah. And the way we talk about things, how it 
is validated by Phil's tech. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Super. Very interesting. We've had him on before. Uh, we, we'll get into all that when he comes on, uh, but it'll be very interesting. So you want to tune in for that one. Awesome. All right, guys. All right. Thank all right. you. Thanks. Have a good weekend. See you. Bye. Thank you.